Hello and welcome to Even the Trunchbull, our show about children's books and why we still love them as adults. She's Nina. They're Matt. And we think that children's books are for everyone, because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchbull. They're all mistakes, children. Filthy, nasty things. Glad I never was one. From Rule Dahl's beloved Matilda, despite her protestations. Each episode, we review one picture book and one chapter book. We've started off with the books that we read as kids, but if you've got a book that you'd like us to review, especially if you are currently a kid, please get in touch. You can email us on eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter and Facebook at TrunchbullPod and on Instagram we are eventhetrunchbull. And our theme for this episode is Not Quite Nuclear. Yeah, so we're going to be talking all about found family and unusual family setups that go beyond the nuclear norm. Our chapter book this week is Wild by Eloise Williams, which is new to both of us and we both think is superb. And our picture book is quite dear to Matt, isn't it Matt? Yeah, (laughs) we're finally getting round to covering a picture book that is one of my all-time favourites. I think it's one of the first things I suggested we cover right back when we first met about this podcast. It's Burglar Bill. Yay! Burglar Bill by Alan Arlberg. And Janet Arlberg. I love it so much. And we finally found a chapter book to pair it up with. I'm looking forward to this one. So shall we start off with Burglar Bill? Yes, please, Nina. And if you could summarise this one, because I'm very excited (laughs) to hear (laughs) how you sum up this book. It's one of the silliest picture books we've done. One of those real absurdist wonders. So this is a book about Burglar Bill. Burglar Bill lives in a house full of stolen things, including his dinner every night, every single cup of tea he drinks. He sleeps all day, and then every night he gets up he has his dinner, and he goes out robbing. And it seems like it's not very well planned out. He just sort of pops into houses, sees something nice and goes, I'll have that, and takes it. He sees a nice mug, I'll have that. Nice can of beans, I'll have that. Like He burgles all of his shopping as well. And then one night, he finds a nice big long box with holes punched in it. And he goes, that's a nice box, I'll have that. Yeah. He brings it home, and he opens it up, and what's in the box? It's a baby. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> but he just completely takes it in his stride. He's like, Kate, guess I got a baby now. And the baby starts crying, and he's like, I know what you need. You need some food. So he gives the baby some beans. Baby's happy. Baby's crying again. He tries to play with it. It doesn't want to play. It throws a football at the cat. Yeah. It chews a hole in a book. Yeah. And he's like, I know what you need. You need a nappy change. He changes his nappy. He's not got any nappies because he hasn't thought to burgle any nappies yet. So he uses an old towel. <laughs> but he does a really good job. Yeah. Baby's happy. Yeah, yeah. Goes down to sleep. He's on it. Yeah. <laughs> and he just like entirely settles down into being a dad like within a day. Well, not even that. I think he's just home for like a couple hours yeah. and then they pop out burgling again. <laughs> and he takes baby with. He's... <laughs> He takes the baby for a walk in the park in a stolen wheelbarrow and is like, oh, if you see anyone, say, run for it. And the baby goes, run for it. (laughs) He's like, yeah, clever baby. But then he hears someone breaking into his house and he's like, oh no, this is actually quite scary. So he goes downstairs and there's a woman in his house and he goes, who are you? And she's like, I'm Burglar Betty. (laughs) Yeah. Because all burglars need names that start with a B. She's like, oh, sorry, I didn't realise you were a burglar too. Clearly there's honour among thieves and you're not supposed to burgle each other. I've seen your picture up in the Police Gazette. 
They're both wearing the stereotypical burglar outfit. Stripey jumpers, yeah. Raccoon mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that everyone knows who they are. Burglar Betty reveals that she's lost a baby. And he's like, fancy that? I just found a baby. <laughs> so they go upstairs and look at the baby. And she's like, oh, this is my baby. I just left it on the step when I was going burgling. And when I came back, it was gone. I assumed the police had got it. And Burglar Bill's like, oh, I just thought it was a nice box, so I took it. Because <laughs> I think she's quite keen on him straight away. She's like, oh, is the missus around? He's like, no, no, you know, never met the right woman. She's like, oh, I just wondered with all this baby stuff around. He's like, oh, yeah, no, I found a baby. <laughs> but, like, there's no rancour at all for his having nicked her baby? Nah, it's just like, oh, I wondered where that had What gone. a lovely surprise. <laughs> You've got my baby. <laughs> What a pair of knackers. But that are quite good parents. Yeah, they do quite well. Well, I mean, not ideal. Not ideal leaving him on a doorstep. Bill's Bill's done all right, hasn't he? Yeah, Bill's pretty good. Betty, I'm not convinced about her parenting skills. It is Betty, we must remember, who's left him in a box on the doorstep. Because you can't just you can't just put it on the doorstep not in a box. It might it might wander off. Or, I don't know, I mean, I was going to say, or leave it at home while you go burgling. Or don't go burgling, you know. I think there is, there's options here. Well, there's not, because um, Burglar Betty is a widow, as she informs Burglar Bill after they've all had a nice cup of tea. I'm a widow lady. I haven't got a husband. <laughs> and so he's, like, right in there. He goes home with her, doesn't he? They shack up straight away. Like, it's, you know, one of them relationships that, like, maybe your mate gets into where it's like, like, what are you talking about? You move, like, you're basically living together. You've known each other for, like, a week. Then they get to thinking. They're like, oh, you know what? I felt quite scared when I heard you come in through the window and it made me think, maybe the people that I burgle feel quite scared. Yeah. And then she's like, yeah, I felt quite scared when I lost my baby. Maybe when I take stuff from other people, they mind. Oh. <laughs> It's the naivety of the <laughs> pair of them. They're just like, oh, yeah, maybe it's bad to burgle people. <laughs> and they both change their ways. They actually say the line, I've seen the error of my ways. Yeah. <laughs> seen the error of my ways, said Burglar Bill. I've been a very bad man. Yes, says Betty. I've been a very bad woman, too. <laughs> <laughs> so they go straight. Um, they get married. They become entirely normative as a family. Yeah. Burglar Bill becomes Bakery Bill because it's still got yeah. to be a B word. And presumably Betty becomes a stay-at-home mum. Nothing is said about her career. And the baby's really happy that they get married. The end. I love this book so much. Like, going through it again now, I'm cracking up every time I read it. The opening page, I think I might read here. Yeah. Because I think it sets us up quite well, right? So, Burglar Bill lives by himself in a tall house full of stolen property. Every night, he has stolen fish and chips and a cup of stolen tea for supper. Then he swings a big stolen sack over his shoulder and goes off to work, stealing things. And that's the crux, right? That's what I love there. He goes off to work. Like it's a normal job. (laughs) It's just his job. Like he's got his little routine. It's genuinely, it's just presented as a like a career option. It's wonderful. I remember playing burglars with me sister. We'd take it in turns where one of us would be the person who lived in the house and the other one would be the burglar. And you would turn the light off and the house was, you know, our bedroom. Mm. 
He'd sneak in with the light off with a swag bag and like just pick some stuff to burgle. And then we'd swap, right? I come up to me mum, haven't had this moment of realisation whilst playing, says, Mum, think I've decided that when I'm older I don't want to be a burglar. And my mum starts to say, oh, that's that's great, that's good, that's a, that's a really good life decision. And I went on to say, yeah, I don't want to work nights. And if we're going to be, like, serious and political about this, it's pretty radical not to have the dichotomy of, like, oh, there are criminals who are bad people, and then there's the rest of us who are good people. Yeah. The humanising of people who do something which we categorise as a crime, I think, is really interesting. And then, obviously, the message at the end, maybe this is something that's harmful to other people. Yeah. And then as soon as they realise it could be harmful to other people, they stop. That's it. That's so much more an effective way of explaining to a child why it might be wrong to nick someone's stuff Yeah. than just to say it's wrong. You might get told off, but this just very accurately mm-hmm. comes at it from a kind of like... Your freedom is only limited by other people's freedom where it touches theirs. Yeah. It's really good. Definitely. We didn't say they take everything back. Yes. We didn't mention that. So once they've decided that they're going to mend the error of their ways, they go, all of that stuff... That we've taken, we're going to take it back. It's very, it's an extremely non-judgmental book, which I really like. Yeah. It doesn't judge them for stealing. No. It ends up looking like a nuclear family, but I suppose what they are is a blended family. A stepdad situation. Well, and it doesn't stick to gender roles either. The gendering is is really interesting because it's Mm. completely flat across the board. Bill's the single dad at first. Yeah. And it works perfectly fine. Like the linguistic stuff here is brilliant. Like the way the baby repeats stuff. Yeah. So Burglar Bill's like, say Burglar Bill. And the baby goes, Boggler Ball. (laughs) And then Burglar Bill says, say he's a jolly good fellow for changing your nappy. And the baby says, Boggler Ball. (laughs) (laughs) It is so good. The Janet and Alan Alberg books are so good on a language front. Like they're fun to say. And they're predictable enough to join in with, if you've been read it a few times. Yeah. Should we talk a bit about the illustration style? Because it's very recognisable. Yeah, the Arlborg style is uh, classic, isn't it? So it's line drawings coloured in, in watercolour, do you think? They look like just coloured pencil, but yeah, it probably is like watercolours or crayon. Talking about body diversity, the bodies in this are quite round. Yeah. Burglar Bill has a very pert bottom. He's so rather, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> you get to see it a lot as he's climbing through things. It's very round. He's a bit tubby, isn't he? He's got like a big round face, receding hairline, stubble, big nose. He's very nimble. He's very good at getting in and out of windows. And then Betty sort of isn't tiny either. She's sort of middle-sized, isn't she? I mean, she's still quite round. Yeah. She's sort of round and rosy cheeked. She's a bit sort of like, she looks a little bit kind of like she might have been a pin in her youth. Do you know what I mean? She's got that kind of glamorous glint in her eye. She's quite sexy. Voluptuous is Betty. (laughs) Yeah, it's wonderful. The humour in the pictures as well as the, the story. It's really good. So what age of children is this book format? Never mind children, everyone. Absolutely. Just treat yourself. It's really properly funny. Yeah. 
It's joyful. I think I had it read to me when I was dead little. You could read this to your kid from the age of like three or something. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of levels to the humour. There are some that are really low down for, you know, the youngest of children. It worked really well all the way up, I think. It would start being funny when you were three, but it'd be slightly differently funny when you were four and then again when you were five and again when you were six. It's uh, it is a fabulous, fabulous book. Could you be ready to move on? I know you don't want to, but we have got another book to talk about. Yes, so that was Burglar Bill. By Janet and Alan Alberg. Making burglary acceptable since 1977. Next up we've got Wild by the... Welsh Children's Laureate Eloise Williams. Yeah. Do you want to give us a synopsis, Matt? Yeah. Wilde is a young girl, aged about 11. In year six. And she's spent her whole life being singled out for being weird. Strange things happen around her. Birds follow her. And at the start of this story, she's moving back to Witch Point, which is a little town in Wales. It's the town her mum grew up in. She's moving there to live with her aunt May in a crookedy old house, Witch Point House. And this is a town that, according to legend, was cursed centuries ago by a witch called Winter. So the weather is swelteringly hot, the clock keeps striking 13, there's a gallows in the town square, and these are all apparently hallmarks of the witch's curse, which at first seems like kitsch, tourist, gimmicky sort of stuff but um, kind of gets increasingly pertinent. So Wilde has moved around a lot. She's always been in different schools. She's always ready to run. She always gets herself kicked out on purpose because she can't stand being at school. Yeah, yeah. So there's a sense that a dad's work takes him to lots of different places. And, and she's she been just in loads of boarding of... schools and she has been yeah. kicked out of her last boarding school, which is why she's moving in with May. Yeah, so she just gets carted around. She's pillar to post Wilde. But this time she's determined not to be seen as weird. She's determined to make friends. Um, And she does at first. She makes friends with this girl called Dorcas, who is a great little character who loves facts. And talking. Very similar to the the little girl in Look Up that we did a couple of weeks ago. Then an egotistical and overly dramatic drama teacher, Gwyneth Rutherford, shows up to make a play with Year Six about the witch called Winter and her curses. And new curses start showing up in the form of handwritten notes hidden in kids' bags and lockers. And these are notes that prey on their worst fears. So it seems like winter is at work again. Wilde has to work hard not to be singled out and blamed. And she and Dorcas begin trying to figure out who's leaving the curses. So the story becomes a bit of a whodunit. Meanwhile, though, birds are still following Wilde around. And she started sleepwalking as well and waking up in some very strange places. Great synopsis, Matt. That was lovely. Thanks. And concise. Thanks very much. We're working on those listeners, can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> We've been told that we go on a bit. <laughs> Ever so slightly. Yeah, this is a gorgeous book. The main thing for me is just the writing itself mm-hmm. is so great. It's it's first person perspective. Yeah. And is so punchy. Mm. It feels quite stylized because it's very short, snappy sentences. Mm. Lots of punctuation. Once I kind of soaked into that style of narration, you get to know Wilde and yeah. you get to realise that this is her voice. The way it's written so closely matches her anxiety and closed offness. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you know that when there are points later on in the book where she starts to open out a bit more, the sentences get longer. Mm-hmm. A lot of it read like poetry to me, like it's just stunningly written, particularly through lockdown when my attention span has been so poor. It's one of the first books I've read in months and months and months that I really struggle to put down. The style reminded me a bit of like Jacqueline Wilson. Right. Did you read Jacqueline Wilson? I never did, no. Oh, you'd have loved them. Because of gender and stuff. Yes, I suppose they weren't put in your hands. Every girl I know my age read them. I would say this is much more um, poetic than Jacqueline Wilson, but they're often written in this very immediate first-person voice as well. So I think if you've got a youngster who's read Jacqueline Wilson, they might really like this. Um, This is just like a bit of a step up in terms of style. I've got an excerpt that I want to read right at the beginning to show you the um, non-nuclear family aspect. Yeah. We start in the first chapter. Wilde has run away from school and she is coming to live with her Aunt May. She gets there. Aunt May picks her up in a car. She's immediately weird. She's got a name for the car. She clearly believes in, like, crystals and plants and stuff. Like, she's a little bit woo-woo. Wilde doesn't warm to her immediately. There's already, like, a bit of tension and resentment between them. And then she's just told Wild where her bedroom is and Wild's about to go up there. Just keep going till you can't go any further. It has a picture of a llama on the door so you can't miss it. Why a llama? Why not? I start the Everest stairs. I'll put the kettle on. No, wait, you're young. I'll make a lemonade. I've never done that before, but it can't be that difficult. May's flip-flops slap away, then stop. Wild? I halt mid-flight. I'm not very good at this, but I'm going to give it my very best shot. I nod to show I'm going to do the same. Mm. Yeah, the characterization is incredible yeah. throughout. Like you get such a clear picture of the characters mm. so quickly and so precisely. And these two characters are thrown together, not really by either of their choice, but it's lovely this like intent that they both show right at the beginning, right, we're gonna try and make this work. It's not ideal. You've run away from school. I've not seen you since you were a baby. And I'm clearly, like, a weirdo living in this big house full of animals and stuff. But, like, I'm really going to try. Let's both really try. I thought that was lovely. A lovely way to start their relationship. When she's shown into her first classroom and she's like, don't be weird, don't be weird, don't be weird. (laughs) You know, fly under the radar. And we've been introduced to Jemima, who straight away is kind of quite clearly... The bully. The bully and the kind of, like, the one that even the teachers are a little bit scared of. The popular girl with the sleek hair. Yeah, and she's, you know, she's very polite, but in a very pointed way. Mm. The teacher, Mr Ricketts, talking at the beginning here. Jemima, that's a warning. I don't want to have to tell you again, Mr Ricketts glares at her. I feel like an ant being burned under a sun-filled magnifying glass by loathsome children. We have been using a chalkboard because we have been studying the Victorians' wild. Do you know much about the Victorian era? I shake my head. I try to avoid making eye contact with Jemima, but eventually I have to look. She meets me with a wasp-sting stare. Excellent start. One minute in the classroom equals one enemy already. I may as well have admitted that I know lots about the Victorians and given her ammunition. So then we switch into the italics for... Actually, I know lots about different historical eras, Jemima, because I have been to lots of schools and learned lots of different things. Yes, I am an interesting specimen. Thank you for noticing. (laughs) 
Yeah, oh, I love that. It's so true to the feeling of being new in a classroom. I mean, I, I didn't get kicked out of lots of schools, but I went to lots and lots of schools when I was growing up because my parents moved a lot. And there is that make or break moment when you go into a new classroom. And personally, I always broke it. Wild in this book is a lot more successful socially than I ever was at that age. But I am so reminded of myself. Like, I feel like this is one of the first books we've done in a while where I think both of us feel like quite powerfully represented in it. Oh, God, yeah. There's definitely a slight trans undercurrent to this story as well, which isn't at all explicit, but this idea of choosing to hide or reveal your true self is a real theme running through and the kind of emotions attached to that. Yeah. But also, it's our first book with explicit queer representation that we haven't had to, like, read into it, which is thrilling and also an indictment of us, I think. Yes. So we have May's partner, Jules, who just appears from time to time and is completely incidental and completely makes sense, you know. It was like, yeah, of course May's gay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's lovely that Wilde thinks nothing of it. Yeah. She just like mentions her offhand, oh, Jules, May's partner who pops in sometimes. Anyway, she was there that day and this happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been disappointing, I think, if May's partner was a man. Yeah. That's what would have jarred. Jules doesn't live there. They're not even like a heteronormative couple with like a marriage and living together. Jules is just sort of in and out. They seem to have made a decision not to live with each other, which is quite queer as well. Yeah, no, I hadn't picked up on that, but I suppose you're right. Because they're not kind of settle down and get a cat lesbians, are they? They're... No, May's already got too many animals. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like an interesting decision that it's year six rather than year seven. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of good that it's set this young because it makes it not hopeless. It's not set in stone, these social roles. Yeah. Like the kids can all still change. Even the bully feels kind of redeemable, and believably so. I think if this happened like three years later, it would be a much bleaker book. But because it's still primary school, it still feels like everyone could still change and things could still get better. Yeah, and I think that position of them being the oldest oldest year group in the school that they're in... Gives them a lot of power. So you felt represented in the potential transness of um, this story... I would also say this is an extremely neuroatypical story. Mm, yeah. And not just in the main character. Wild, for me, I'm autistic, by the way. Wild is autistic, for me. She is mm. extremely similar to what I was like at that age. And Dorcas, to me, is neuroatypical in a different way. I think maybe ADHD, something like that. Maybe she's also autistic with a different kind of autism. Yeah. But they both feel neuroatypical to me, and they're just exemplifying this cross-neurotype friendship, which happens quite a lot. Like, being autistic, quite a lot of my friends are ADHD, including you probably, Matt. Like, it's a good pairing. (laughs) (laughs) It's something about you both have brains that the world isn't shaped around, but you've different skills and areas of lack of skill. It often means that the two of you are quite good at navigating the world together. I think that's what's lovely about 
Dorcas and Wilde and that reminded me a lot of you and me. There is a lot of parallels because I suppose Wilde is sort of like quiet and considered and then Dorcas is like, oh yeah, cool, yeah, let's do that. Here's some facts about herons that I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's definite similarities. But also Dorcas has more of that charm as well. Like Dorcas doesn't seem like she's being picked on in the same way that Wilde gets picked on. She can definitely slide around in the social world much more easily, even though she's a bit weird. She's good at turning her weird into charm, which Wilde, if she's going to get the hang of that, hasn't got it yet. Mm-hmm. Wilde still feels so much shame about her weirdness that she hasn't learned to turn it outward facing and make it a feature, you know, which Dorcas definitely does. I've got a great excerpt, actually, that does a lot in terms of where Wilde's sitting with herself. Yes. The door creaks open. Laid out on a chair is a school uniform in green and golds. Blech. <laughs> May and Dad want me to go to Witch Point Primary, even though the term is almost over, so I can make some friends before the summer holidays. It's the most ridiculous idea anyone ever had. <laughs> I can't really argue because Dad is already livid with me. I meant it when I promised him I'd be on my best behaviour while he was away working. He's researching cures for diabetes so other people won't die of it like Mum did. It's important. Dad is the best dad and I've let him down. I should have stuck it out, but the bullies were just too much. Again, is it my fault? If I could be normal, would they stop picking on me? I put my suitcase near the door where I can grab it quickly if necessary and sit on the bed. The springs squeak, so I bounce a bit for fun and make a horrendous noise. Home. A single word has so much power. I practice being normal. Cross my legs and tilt my head as if I'm listening to someone. (laughs) Fold my arms and pretend to be having a scintillating conversation. Stand up and walk about at different speeds. I'm going to have to practice lots. Oh my God. It's really, isn't it? But, uh, you know. That is me. That's very true to the experience of bullying as well. And like, yeah, of course. Yeah, you yeah. do wonder, like, is it me? This keeps happening to me. Oh, totally. Is it something about me? Yeah. People always say, like, oh, it says more about them than it does about you. But does it? Like, your parents are always telling you, no, no, don't worry about it. It'll be better somewhere else. I think it's true that bullies are drawn to people with non normative behaviours and non normative traits. And that doesn't mean it's your fault for having them. Well, the other thing that this book does so well, it does so much work in digging around into, like, the reasons for bullying. So, you know, as we say, we've got Jemima set up as the bully. Yeah. Jemima, she's not the villain, the one to overcome. She's not the big baddie to defeat in Act 3 or whatever it is. Like, she's... She's also an 11-year-old girl with all of the complexities that come with that. She's so self-conscious. I mean, the other thing is that Wilde is, like, amazingly generous to people who treat her really badly. But Jemima is clearly so kind of aware of her own talent and aware of her own popularity and, like, aware of the pressure to do something with that and just gets really twisted with it. What I love about their classroom, the whole of Year 6... It seems like an incredibly believable, normal, modern classroom of year sixes. You know, they're getting told off for having their phones out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Lewis has a special educational needs. I love Lewis so much. He's got to have his behaviour slips lined. And then there's just this one little sentence where it's like, 
this was happening and something else, and Lewis had to be taken for time out because he'd already had his behaviour slip signed, so now he was acting up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Lewis is, is such a lovely character. Yeah. Like He's also dyslexic, I think. He can't read. He's very kind. He always sticks up for everyone, and he's always making people laugh, and he doesn't really yeah. pick sides. Yeah, He'll just yeah. sort of stick up for whoever's being picked on. He skives off a lot. The whole way through this, it's sweltering, sweltering hot. And he says, uh, oh, I got up early this morning. I've been to the waterfall already. I've been for a swim. Yeah, I was just going to stay there. But I figured, you know, if I skived off today, they might take my part and the play off me. And I don't want that to happen because the play is <laughs> coming up quite soon. I've been behaving bad, so I suppose they might take the part off me anyway. But if they do that, I suppose I can just go and have a swim. <laughs> so we haven't talked about one of the most incredibly drawn characters I've ever seen. Is it the one that's you? Oh my god, but no, you're you're kind of on the money. Gwyneth Rutherford is the drama teacher who shows up, who's like an external hire to run this play. Oh my god, there were so many cringe moments for me. This one is kind of so close to the bone. It's so exaggerated, but I was like, I have had drama teachers like this. I have absolutely been this drama teacher. Like, from misplaced ego to the over-exuberance. I must clarify, I don't think I'm as bad as this, right? Like, this is an exaggerated model. But I've definitely done some of the things that she's done. Wrapped audience, well you might be, for we are here to create art. Real art. Are we drawing this? No, we are going to become thespians, actors, divisors, playwrights and performers. <laughs> she rolls her R's and hits every consonant crisply. I love her so much and I hate her so much. It's so savage. <laughs> Who's your favourite character? May. Yeah, absolutely. it's a good show. Who's yours? I mean, I'm tempted to go wild. But that's the obvious. I'm going to go May. I mean, obviously I'm tempted to go wild, but it's Lewis for me. Oh, yeah. Gwyneth's a close second. <laughs> she's a bit too close to the bone for you. <laughs> but as a character, she's so well drawn. Yeah. In terms of who I like most, Lewis is just such a lovely lad. Yeah. He's MVP for me. Should we talk about the little, like, poison pen who done it side of this? Well, yeah, there is that whole side of it, isn't there? I thought that was really fun. It becomes a bit of a Sherlock Holmes. Wild and Dorcas even say that. We can be um, Sherlock and Watson. We can solve yeah. this together. And I like that they're not very good detectives. I mean, I don't know about you, but as soon as I started pointing the finger at someone, I was like, no, that's not it. You're wrong. <laughs> See, I thought it was quite well written, though, because, like, to be fair, I don't read a lot of mystery crime stuff. So I think I'm not so into, like, the formula. But there was one or maybe even two occasions where I was going, oh, my God, I bet it was them. I know who did it. And then a page later, the book would acknowledge and dismiss that. And I was like, ah, oh, man, you led me there. That was deliberate. Yeah. No, it is fun. <laughs> Who's this for, then, Nina? This is for people coming up to the end of primary school and possibly people who just started secondary school. Yeah. So it definitely goes up to like 13 or so. People of all genders. This is for people of all neurotypes. You'll especially enjoy this if you're not neurotypical. Um, drama nerds. Um, Welsh people. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say for anyone who's ever felt a bit isolated or lonely. Or... Any-
any kid you know being bullied, I think this is a really good one. So, that was episode 20 of Even the Trunchbull. 20! Wow. 20! I know. Uh, thanks for listening. Once again, if you've any thoughts on books you loved as a kid. Or love now as a kid. Let us know, or ask a grown-up to let us know. We're at eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com, or catch us on Twitter and Facebook at TrunchbullPod, and on Instagram at eventhetrunchbull. Intro music for this episode, and every single episode, is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers. And remember, kids' books can be for everyone, because we've all been kids. Even Even the Trunchbull. Hi listeners, sorry for dropping in after the credits, just to let you know that our series finale about audiobooks is going to be delayed by a week because we've got some personal stuff going on. So if you still want to recommend some audiobooks to us, you've got time and we'll be back in a fortnight. Bye!